Just do what you can do. Do it to the best of your ability. You never really know unless you do it. Probably seven or eight weeks later, I hit the bestsellers list. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey guys, it's your host, Dasam. And Emma. Here with another episode of Before, Before We, we Make, Make It. it. Woo, woo. <laughs> and here we are today with J.A. or Jessica Redmirsky. She is an American New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling novelist and graphic designer. So thank you so much for being here, Jessica. Thank you. I love your introduction. It's so cheerful. <laughs> Thank you so Thank you. much. So before we get into our first segment, just going to ask you really quick to sort of introduce yourself, give a bit of a background, a brief synopsis on how you got here, if you will. Okay. Um, well, like you said, I'm a New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal bestselling author. I started out uh, self-publishing, tried to find an agent and a traditional publisher and all that good stuff and just didn't work for me. So I just decided to, you know, do that traditional route. I mean, the self-publishing route and sort of a fluke happened. We may talk about that in a little bit. I don't know, but um, it just kind of took off from there. And now here I am. I actually went from welfare to seven figures. So I didn't do too bad. Oh, wow. What age did you begin writing and, and going on this whole journey of becoming such a successful author? Well, I, I've been writing something, whether it was stories or uh, in a journal, just something um, for as long as I can remember. But I really started writing uh, stories when I was about 13. I just fell in love with it. And I really cannot imagine not writing. So it's been that long um, since I was about 13. I'm 45 now. So <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. That's amazing. I was actually talking to another author the other day and she was saying how sometimes she has these real life moments where she's almost like seeing this scene play out in a novel and she'll like write it down and be like, oh my God, this would be an amazing dialogue piece or setting piece for a novel. Do you do that as well? I do. I have to have either a notepad or obviously I'll have my phone with me everywhere I go and I use the voice recorder. I'd be driving down the street and then, you know, something will come into my into my mind and I have to get it down. So yes, I absolutely do that for sure. Same. Yeah. That notes app on your iPhone is everything. It is. Right? <laughs> it's yeah. getting down all those thoughts. Yeah. I had like four gigs of, of notes that I had to finally take out just to free up space for my phone. So yeah. And it's all book notes. And yeah, that's awesome. So guys, we're going to start off with our first segment, Truly Obsessed. This is a segment where we discuss everything and anything we've been loving lately. So Jessica, if you'd like to go first and share with us what you're into. I'm into a lot of different things, but um, recently I've like been obsessed with doing my YouTube videos. So this is actually the first time I can even remember when I haven't had time to read or do much of anything else. Watch movies, watch much TV. It's mainly been learning this YouTube channel. I won't go really go into all that because it's kind of boring, but um, I'm obsessed with that. If anything, it's a full-time job because I run now four different YouTube channels and I have to find time to write and edit and do my graphic design because I do my own book covers and everything. So it is a lot of work but I love it. So you can say it's an obsession, but as far as TV and everything, I love TV. I love binge watching um, Netflix and Crunchyroll and I rewatch stuff 
I, I haven't really found anything. Maybe you can recommend something to me that it's something new. I'm very picky, but I just, I like to rewatch a lot of stuff. Dexter and Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and things like that. But right now I'm also into a lot of anime. So <laughs> love anime. Dexter is so good. My freshman year roommate introduced it to me and I was like hooked. I would just have to come out of my room like in the middle of the day and just watch like a couple episodes with her. Very random, but very thrilling. No, I agree. My family and I would watch that show every night for about two years. Like, and we would just rewatch shows. So I totally understand rewatching it. And I feel like having that sort of mindset of a writer, you like that's how you get inspiration from all these different forms of content. And so I totally, totally understand what you're saying with that. Yeah, actually, the In the Company of Killers was halfway inspired by Dexter. So uh, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So guys, for my truly obsessed right now, I've been really into matcha chai lattes. I know that sounds like a very odd combination, like a dirty matcha chai. And it was actually incredible. And I loved it a lot. So there's my drink recommendation. Isn't that the one with the green stuff? Yes, it's popular right now on Starbucks. And for some reason, I'm sorry, I'm so afraid of that one. It just looks scary to me, but I'm going to try it. Yeah, it depends where you get it, though. Because I, th- I mean, I'm assuming you got it from Sweets, right? Yeah. This coffee shop in our college town. But if you just try the Starbucks one, I think you would like it if you like sweeter drinks. And I think you could get it half sweet. It's hard to explain the taste. Yeah, it is. But I did love that. And then for my other favorites, I have been really into as a like fashion favorite, just anything that is one shouldered. So like dresses, tops, bodysuits, anything that has like a one shoulder strap for some reason gives me this like edgy vibe. And I just feel a lot more chic about my outfit. So there's that. And then the last favorite that I'll mention is watching a ton of music videos. I'm not sure why, but... (laughs) I don't know if y'all ever go on to this kick of like, oh, I just want to watch all of like Taylor Swift's old music videos or I don't know, like some random artist. And for instance, like Lauv or Julia Michaels, JP Sachs, I've just been into watching music videos. And that has been like a random pastime of mine or guilty pleasure, I guess say. That's interesting. I feel like because of Taylor Swift's recent release of like all of her old recordings of her songs, that may have spurred it. But no, I totally feel that. Okay, so for me, it's going to start off with a drink as always. It's always a different drink every week, but I've been loving London Fogs. It's basically an Earl Grey tea with almond milk and sweetener. I think different places might make it different ways, but it's just such a cozy, warm drink and it kind of reminds me of fall. So I love that drink so much. And then my other favorite has been, and I did sort of allude to this in a past episode, but I'm going to talk about it again because I'm still in the process of reading it. And the more further along I get in this memoir I'm just falling more and more in love so it's Nora Ephron's memoir called I feel bad about my neck and it's so funny and so just awesome to read like I'm I don't know it's it's about aging and she likes to focus she passed away I think in 2012 but um, towards the end of her life she focused a lot on aging and women and just all of these different things that women go through throughout their lives whether it's having to pay a ton of money for grooming or aging you know and like the the way that your neck starts to look as you grow older and so there's so many different interesting things that she brings to light in such a funny way so I've really been enjoying that and I even watched her documentary called Everything is Copy it's on I think HBO Max if you're interested so 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 good to learn about her life and how she saw everything as a screenwriter and also a novelist. So 
yeah, love that. And we definitely recommend you check it out. So without further ado, we can get right into the meat of the episode for our first little intro question. Did you ever dream of becoming an author? I know you mentioned that you were writing, just you were always writing something. And at 13, you're obviously experiencing so much growing up and being in that, you know, weird like prepubescent phase. But even then, like was being an author sort of your goal in life? Or were you just sort of writing for fun? I always wrote um, because it made me feel better. But when I really wanted to become an author was when I started reading Anne Rice and um, Interview with the Vampire and the Vampire Armand. I'm into a lot of the darker stuff. That was when I decided, okay, you know, I want to see my words in print. From that moment on, I mean, that's all I did um, as far as hobby goes or anything. I was just obsessed with writing. I mean, I was obsessed before that, but that just even intensified it. And I just carried that with me and and never, ever gave up. And I will never forget it. But I remember one family member, I'm not going to say which one, it was kind of like one of those TV things where, you know, it's like a cliched thing to say, uh, you need to, to do something with your life and stop doing that. And, and it just really hurt me. And uh, I think even that just kind of progress me to go, you know, push me to go even further. I did not give up. I refused to give up. And even after rejections and rejections and rejections, and I, you know, I've, like I said, I finally made it. So that just goes to show don't give up. It's a cliched thing to say, but it is so true. I love that so much, especially since our podcast is built around the premise of like not ever making it, but always striving to become a better version of yourself or your career. So if you were to ever write a memoir, for example, then what would be like the primary lesson that you would focus around? Just curious. I would probably have to say probably that, just the not giving up, because so many people go into a dream or a goal or just a project and uh, they see that's not working for them. They feel like, well, maybe this isn't for me. And they, and, you know, a lot of people just give up. They don't keep pressing and pressing and, and it's going to be hard. You're going to come to that point where you feel like this isn't for you and you're going to want to give up. You're going to want to start on something else or whatever the case is. But obviously it's never going to happen if you do give up. So I just think that's a huge part of it. You know, if I were to look back on, on my, my younger self, I would probably give myself a pat on the back for that very reason. So just, yeah, just keep at it. No, that's awesome. And I actually do have a question. I'm just going to sort of pop in here. As far as practically writing every day, because I mean, writing a novel is no easy feat. And I'm sure it just takes so much discipline. I mean, even just thinking about the concept, like continuing those chapters and and building it up on your computer, wherever you were writing it, like that takes a lot. So what advice do you have for someone who is trying to write a novel and has that sort of problem with staying disciplined? Because especially with writing, I feel like you sometimes do it a lot when you're feeling very motivated, but when you're not feeling motivated or when you have writer's block, it's so difficult to get out the words. Oh yeah, writer's block is a he's a huge thing. Everybody gets it um, for various different reasons, but just don't sweat the small stuff. When I'm writing a book, I start. I tend to get hung up on the editing at the same time. A lot of writers think you have to write perfect in that first book, and that is absolutely not the case. Your first uh, draft is probably going to be bad. I don't care how good you are. It's going to suck. <laughs> and you, you know, I mean, in an editing standpoint, not a story standpoint, but you just go into it, just write to your heart's content, do whatever you want, say whatever you feel. And then later you go in and you 
tweak the problems, you take out the, the editing mistakes and things like that. Um, but that's the best way, in my opinion, to stay disciplined is just to don't sweat the small stuff, just write and, um, and feel it. Yeah, I've heard, I mean, guys exposing like Em and I are both aspiring authors, so you will see books from us someday. But I've heard that the most diligent writers are the most successful ones because there are a lot of aspiring authors out there, but there are very few that put pen to paper and stick with it, like you said. And Emma said this to me before, just like writing what you know is a key piece of advice. So when you were first starting out, what did you know? What limited experiences did you leverage to create something that was thrilling, like in your own world for another person to enter into? Well, I tend to write or, or, or tend to enjoy writing what I feel. For instance, I wrote a, a book um, under a name called Justine Carver called The Waltz of Devil's Creek. And it was set in the 1940s. Obviously, I don't really know anything about the 1940s aside from what I've seen in movies or read about in other books. So obviously, you know, you, you go and, and you have to research. So there's a, there's a difference between writing what you know and writing what you feel. You can feel a story and not know anything about the details of that story. So, you, you know, you have to research it. So being a writer is also you're, you're a student, you're a professor, you become everything. You have to, to, to research all these different things. And so, yeah, that, that's what I would say regarding that. Just write what you feel. Don't worry about writing what you know because it's impossible to know everything. Interesting. We were talking about this just last week because like I said, I was watching the documentary Everything is Copy and Nora Ephron, she screen wrote for a lot of rom-coms. She did Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, When Harry Met Sally, all those movies. And everything that she wrote was based off of her own experiences in life. She wrote about her family disguised as other characters. And I think it's so interesting that like there's all these different types of writers that have different philosophies in their work. And you know, you honestly have been very bold in writing about something that you don't know that you weren't there to experience. And so do you have any advice on how to go about that research? And also, I'm sure there are fact checkers for everything that you put into the books when it comes to historical accuracy and everything like that. But any sort of tips for writing about worlds that you were not actually a part of? Definitely researched. That is the biggest thing is just research as much as you possibly can. I was pretty terrified when I wrote that book because obviously I don't know anything about, like I said, nothing about the 1940s. And um, you want to get all of those details right. You, you don't want to make a fool of yourself or this huge, this blaring mistake and, and then only realize it later after it's already been published, especially if you're a self-published author. If you're traditional, you have you know, copy editors and your all these other people looking at your work that, that can catch these mistakes. But when you're self-publishing, you need to make sure you're the one that finds all that stuff ahead of time. So, you know, it is daunting and it's it's scary to write about times that you've never been in, but it's really also fun. And I, I feel like I said, I feel like it's a learning experience. And I've, after I'm done, I feel like, wow, I, I know a lot about the 1940s now. You know, it, it's, it's actually really exciting and it's scary when you go into it, but it's really, really worth it. Yeah. It's like time traveling. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. No, literally, like reading books has been like my earliest hobby of memory. And it's really because of the escapism that it provided for me, the ability to fantasize about different worlds and characters. And I would literally dream that I was the protagonist of a book I was reading like that night. So what fascinated you about the 1940s that you wanted to build your world around it? 
just that it's not now. There's so much stuff going on right now, and I, I tend to like old stuff, uh, even in this like 70s music, and, and I always wanted to write a historical novel. But I never thought I would write one in the 40s. I thought it would be more like back in the, you know, 18, 17, 1600s with castles, and, and I'm going to do that too. But yeah, I just, I really wanted to go somewhere other than here, because it's just sometimes the world is a little dark and it doesn't really make any sense that the book I wrote was a little dark, but, um, you know, it, I still got to travel back. And, and also because that, you know, my, my grandparents and people grew up in that, in that era. And it just makes me, made me feel a little closer to them, I guess. I love that. And I actually do have a question about self-publishing because you mentioned that that's how you went about this process. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? There's so much about this topic that I just didn't know what to start with. But you could probably say that, well, for me, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just kind of, you know, dove in head first. I, you know, kind of followed a a few other self-published authors and kind of, you know, saw how they did things and but I really didn't have a plan I just I'm going to p- publish this on Amazon apparently Amazon is the number one place to self publish that's where everything started I guess but it was it's there's a lot that goes into it and at the same time you don't it's not really that hard it seems like it's hard but it's really not and you don't have to spend your you know a lot of money you just upload your file after you know it's been properly edited in as or edited as much as you can do it and um, you kind of take it from there but I learned the hard way because I uploaded files that had terrible atrocious editing mistakes and you know you get reviews people pointing these things out and it's a learning process you know you just but the good thing about self-publishing uh, you know as opposed to traditional publishing you make those mistakes you can take it off of sale and you can fix them and put them back i have one traditionally published book i can never fix because it's with the with the publisher and there's something that in that book that i just want it taken out i'm just mortified (laughs) and i can't so there's a lot of freedom with with self-publishing and um even though i do both I do really tend to prefer the self-publishing side because I have control of everything from the story, from the cover, the author brand, everything. I control it and I really like that. Yeah. And I think something that's kind of intimidating is, you know, you're working on this creative novel and that's your main focus, but there are a lot of legal sides to it as far as copyright and everything like that. So in the instance of self-publishing, what are the steps, if you can, to obtaining the copyright for that and sort of making sure that everything's good to go legally? It's actually very simple. You just go onto the Library of Congress and there's a website, you just upload your files there and you pay like $35 and they send you a certificate. It is really as simple as that. There is no hurdles to jump over or anything. It's just, it's very easy. And honestly, as a perfectionist somewhat, I can't imagine having an entire book where you might have editing errors. Like I feel like you have to let go a little bit of like your control, inner control freak when you become an author, especially with as someone that has published countless novels. And I've heard also like the editorial letter that editors do provide you are like super marked up and it could be like a hit to your ego. So as someone who's just a creative 
expressionist in a way. How do you let go of the fear that it's not going to be your best or that you're going to want to edit it endlessly? Well, I don't think you really ever let go of the fear. Every time you put out another book, it's just you're starting the cycle all over again. But like you, I'm a perfectionist and I have a little bit of OCD. Some of my books I have literally published or not published, but edited you know, five or six times. I just got done doing another one, one of my old trilogies, paranormal stuff. And it has been edited so many times, it's almost a completely different story. So it never really goes away. You always sort of worry about it. And then you always find mistakes. I, you know, I still can go and I try not to read, reread my, my work. It just, I don't like it. I don't know what it is. It's not that I don't like the work itself. It's just continuing to read something I wrote over and over again. It's just, ugh, I just want to chunk it in the trash by that time. You just have to kind of one day just say to yourself, okay, I've done all that I can do. And But the most important thing is when people are reading your work, they're finding errors and stuff like that. But most of them don't care. And and I would never point out anybody's books, but there there's a, there's a few really popular series that are self-published and I've tried to read them and I really, you know, couldn't get through them. I mean, it's just, you know, my personal taste. I and mean, there was a lot of editing mistakes and things like that, but nobody cares. These people just eat this stuff up and um, they really, they love reading it. There's mistakes and stuff like that, but they just don't care. So I think in the end, just do what you can do, do it to the best of your ability. And then after that, release it to the world and let the world have it and then just stop worrying about it so much. Yeah, that's definitely hard to do. Totally understand the concept of going back and finding all these tiny little things that could have been better. But I think that is really important to once it's out there, let go and just let the public have at it. I mean, people are going to read the story and people are going to take what they will from it. But at the end of the day, like there is a point where you can't really take any of those things back. And even in traditionally published books, I have seen so many errors, but I still keep reading. And it's just kind of funny that self-published or not, there's many, many errors that you find in the story. And it's kind of just normal (laughs) at this point. I know. And Okay, so you began like indie publishing in 2012. And I'm just curious, yes, your worlds are so fictional and, you know, so brilliantly crafted for that and because of your research. But when you think about the more humane aspects of these experiences that these characters go through as they develop in a novel, are there any experiences that you could recall that really shaped you and that you really pull from when you're creating some sort of like a coming of age story, for example, for someone that's learning about themselves what they want in life, etc. I've been through a lot in my own coming of age story. I ran away when I was 13 years old, shortly after I started writing books. And um, I I had a little bit of a hard life, not like a, I don't want anybody to pity me or anything type of life, but I just, I did a lot of things and it was my fault that I just wasn't proud of. And it, nothing too terrible. I'm, I'm not a criminal or anything like that. But I, I look back on, on that now and I'm just really kind of embarrassed. And But I, I take everything that I went through into my characters. But another thing is uh, like the death of my grandparents because they were the, the closest people to me ever. And I, I still miss them to this day. So I tend to incorporate their relationship because they were married for, I don't even know how many years. I should know the answer to that 
that question, but I don't. And I, I just, whenever I write like relationships, I try to make them like my grandparents' relationship without making it seem like you're, you know, this new adult couple is this old couple. But I, I don't like stuff like love triangles and cheating and things like that. I, I, I really loathe the, those kinds of stories. And I tend to not read them. If I pick up a book like that, I put it away. Of course, that does happen in everyday life. And, it, and it's probably going to happen in a, in a couple of my books in the future, but it's not the focus. I just don't like focusing on that kind of stuff. But yeah, a, a lot of my personal experiences have shaped me as a writer, but it really shapes my characters, I think, most of all, because there's a little bit of me in probably all of the characters that I create. Thank you so much. And kind of going off of that, you're so well known for your Edge of Never series. What was your inspiration behind writing it? I was really lonely at that time. I, I didn't have any friends. And that was my, my own personal choice. Um, I got out of a lot of associating with people because of trust issues and things like that. But I was lonely as all, you know, also like I had didn't had been in a relationship with anyone in like 14 years. And I just sat around and I thought about it. And, and I always wanted to backpack across America or across the world and put it, that together with the loneliness. And then, and then you got Andrew and then you got Cameron and then it just all came together. So that book was really inspired by my own need to travel across the world with the love of my life. So, <laughs> Okay, so I personally and very unfortunately have not had the chance to read the Edge of Never series. So can you give a brief synopsis of what it's about? It is about a girl, uh, Cameron, who lost her her boyfriend prior a couple months, and she uh, well he died, and she just was kind of lost in and didn't know what to do. She didn't really want to go to college. She didn't want to do the things that people tend to do. She was just heartbroken, and there was just a she just didn't want to take the same road. So she just decided one day, you know what, I'm going to do something spontaneous, and she just got her purse and got on a, on a bus, a Greyhound, and she just went wherever. She actually, the, the lady standing behind the Greyhound counter when she was buying her ticket was eating a potato. And the lady asks her, where where do you want your bus ticket? Or where do you want to go? And she says, Idaho. So that's why she goes in that direction because of the potato on the lady's desk. So it, I thought that was kind of funny, but weird. And yeah. No, I love that. That's so funny. I was like, yeah. wait, I know where this is going. <laughs> I love the quirkiness of that. And also, what are some tips you have for imagination? Because obviously, you said that you don't really agree with the whole concept of writing what you know all the time. You obviously sort of embed your personal experiences in there somehow. And like you said, your grandparents' story is sort of woven into the stories you write. But any tips on imagination and where do you go to get that inspiration to coming up with these different types of worlds? Inspiration just kind of hits me from out of nowhere. Usually, um, it can happen just when I'm I'm walking through a store and I, I see a, a lady with the with the child and just something will pop in my head. Or if I'm I'm walking through the park and I'm just daydreaming about something and then something again will pop into my head. But a, another way that I really get a lot of inspiration is when I'm watching movies because I'm always drawn to the either the side character. Or the character that is just in the in the movie for just like a few minutes, and I'm like, well, what would happen? What what kind of life is is that person living? Or what what would did that person do after they left? And then my imagination just kind of you know runs wild with that. I really I, I get imagination from 
or, or get my ideas and, and, and inspiration from just everything around me. And I don't really know how it happens, to be honest with you. It, like I said, it just kind of pops into my head. So on that note, I think that's amazing that you can follow your intuition. That's something that I've always worried about as someone who's always loved writing and reading and found a lot of my identity in that as well. I always doubt like, is my vocabulary expansive enough? Is my sentence structure diverse enough? Like, can I bring myself to write a whole novel that could actually interest people and be readable. So what about your limiting beliefs around that? Because I do believe some people are just born to be authors like JK Rowling, for example, you know, and yourself. And I've always wondered, like, should I even attempt this if it isn't like my innate talent, for example? But it could be your innate talent. You never really know unless you do it. I, I just think that if, if you're passionate enough about it, no, no matter what, you should try it. Don't let things like using the wrong words or the wrong definitions of words get to you. I do that all the time. There's probably going to be a few words that I use in this podcast that might be out of context. Just leave them. It's part of my personality. I say some of the dumbest things sometimes and I just laugh about it. So you got to kind of think about that too when you're when you're writing your book. I mean, you, you always good to have a beta reader. I mean, you two are friends and you know, if you write one, a book, you know, it's good to have someone to just kind of help you through it. But I, I really I strongly believe that if you have a story to tell, it's sad to not tell it, you know, because I want to know what the story is. And I've got so many stories in my head. One of my biggest fears is, is dying before I get them all out, which is going to happen because I'm never, I'm always going to have stories in my head. If you have a story to tell, just get it out there. That That's my advice on that. I love that. And the next question is a little bit more kind of nitty gritty. So what do you love about writing for a living? And what do you dislike about writing for a living? I love it because it's what I've always done. Like I said, it's like my favorite thing in the world. I can't imagine not being able to write. But at the same time, it is so hard. The emotional aspect of it there, I have gone months, even a couple of years without writing anything. And it is not easy to do that. A lot of people may believe that, okay, well, why don't you just sit down and write? It does not work that way for me in particular. Maybe it does for other people, but I, I can't do that. I think the biggest thing that, or the most difficult thing would be the income because it's, you don't know if you're going to make any money. You can work for a months and months on a book and not make a dime from it. And I've actually been, I've run into that problem with a few of my past books. One book I wrote, it took me three years and, and I published it in 2017 and I still have yet to even sell maybe a thousand copies. So you, you just don't know that that's the problem, especially if you're writing as a, for a job, as a full-time job, it, it can be scary unless you, you know, you just already have a lot of money in the bank and you don't have to worry about it. It is daunting. I, I love writing. I'm always going to do it. And whether I make money from it or not, but it would be nice to, you know, be able to have that financial security and know that you don't have to worry, you know, spend three weeks or a month or two months on a book and then, you know, for nothing. I'm sure. I mean, that's all that you hear about writers. It's like, oh, it's, you know, that writer is definitely going to be struggling with income because obviously you don't get paid to start writing a novel until it becomes a huge hit. Were you working a part-time job or a full-time job even when you were writing any of your novels? 
I was working a full-time job before I wrote The Edge of Never, and I was desperate. That book, I, I was so obsessed with it that I didn't want to do anything else. I didn't want to pick my kids up from school. I didn't want to give my kids a bath. I did these things, of course, but I just couldn't stop thinking about these characters. And I was at work one day, and I just said to myself, you know, I don't have time for this. And one thing about being a writer or if even if it's any kind of other thing that you want to do with your life and you when you also have to work a normal job, sometimes you have to take risks. And um, I, I'm not saying everybody tell everybody go out and quit your job, but that's exactly what I did. I was living in government housing and we were on food stamps and Medicaid and, and all of the, the welfare stuff. And I was a single mom um, raising my kid, three kids by myself. And I had a car payment. I had rent. I had all that kind of stuff. I didn't have enough time to write because I was working full time, sometimes nine, 10 hours a day. And by the time I got home, I was mentally and physically exhausted and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I said, I'm going to quit my job. And I quit my job. And it was very risky, uh, especially in the situation that I was in. And probably seven or eight weeks later, I hit the bestsellers list. So I took a risk and it worked for me. And here I am ever since 2012 and I'm still writing full time and I've, I've not had to go and clean toilets. And But I, let me let me make clear, I love doing housekeeping work. I'm not saying that cleaning toilets is a bad thing. I actually sometimes sit around and dream about going back to doing motel work, but I'm just using that as my example. I didn't have to, to do that anymore. No, that's so inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at the time it was the scariest thing in the world, but obviously it's paid off. And yeah. I think that with anything that you want to do out of passion, because like you said, you couldn't think of anything else. Like all that was on your mind was those characters. And of that. course you showed up for your kids and, and you made everything work. But I think it's so inspiring that you knew when it was time to leave that job and focus completely on your book. And, you know, obviously it has paid off. So yeah, that's an incredible story. And thank you for sharing that. And when did you transition into also being a graphic designer. I've, I've done graphic design even before I started publishing. Didn't make any money from it. I just kind of did it as a hobby and uh, self-taught using, you know, different programs. I started really getting into it when I was doing book covers because I have spent thousands of dollars on book covers for someone else to do them for me. Photo shoots, um, hiring models, uh, like for the in the company of Killer Series, uh, those were hired models. It can be really expensive. Also, the formatting in, in the interior and. I thought to myself, wow, all the money that I have spent doing these covers in, in, the, in the interior graphics, and I just can't do this anymore because I'm not really making as much as I did back in 2012 and 2013. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to prepare to move to Mexico and all kinds of things. So I had to force myself really to learn. So that's what I've been doing. And, and, and then I opened the YouTube channel because I want to teach everybody else how to do the same things and stop spending so much money on it, especially for an indie publisher, because, you know, you don't have much money to begin with. And a lot of people are, you know, they just kind of struggling writers and or single moms like I was, and you don't have all that extra money to just kind of toss around for that plus running ads and, and promotions on your book. And so to learn to do the graphics yourself is huge. It's it's a really big help. And I love doing it. So that's really great. I love that you've become almost entrepreneurial in the way that you've like expanded your platforms and the work that you do, the content that you produce to not just be writing, but you know, video content, graphic design, etc. What platforms do most authors use to create their covers? I'm just curious. 
Probably Photoshop. I use Corel Paint Shop Pro. Photoshop tends to be a little more complicated for me, but I think most people use Photoshop. And also Photoshop's more expensive and you, you have to pay yearly or monthly for that. And Corel Paint Shop Pro does almost the same thing as Adobe Photoshop, not everything but you just pay for it one time. It's like $80 and, and it's, it's yours. You don't have to keep paying. I mean, who needs more monthly bills, you know? I, I use that and I also use the website called Canva for some simple things. It's a very, very cool website and very easy to use. There's just so much that you can use. That's so awesome. And I feel like a lot of people are delving into those programs, especially because of 2020. So many people took up graphic design. To kind of close off, what advice do you have for aspiring writers and other creatives out there? It, the passion is the most important thing. If you, if you don't have passion in anything that you do, you're never going to accomplish anything. You can have a dream and you can lose that dream in a couple months. The passion drives you. But also, like I, I explained earlier, sometimes you have to take risks. And if you really want something bad enough, you will find a way to do it. Even if it seems impossible, you will find a way to do it if you want it bad enough. Was there ever like a moment where you just made that shift for yourself in your life? Because you talked about overcoming adversity and becoming a, this tenacious person that never gives up. Was there something that just made you into that doer rather than a dreamer? I think it's probably a lot to do with me being afraid of everything. All of my teenage years and my young adult years, I was afraid of disease and, you know, I have like hypochondria. I'm terrified of spiders. One of my biggest things is I'm afraid to fly. I've had opportunities to go to different countries and, and didn't do it because I was scared. So I think a lot of my fears really helped drive me to become successful because I incorporate that in in there and I'm like, I don't want to be afraid to do this too. I don't want to be afraid to put myself out there. I can't continue to be afraid of everything. So hopefully maybe I'll fly on a plane one day. I've never been on a plane and I'm very scared, but I might need a volume. That is one of my goals now is to be able to fly. So well, well I'm sure you will one day. Yes, we hope you accomplish it and we are rooting for you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you all these I mean honestly everything that we've talked about has been so inspiring and you've answered questions so well. So we're so excited. Thank you. I, I needed it. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Jessica, for joining us today. Do you want to plug your socials so our listeners can find you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Right now I'm doing my, uh, the, my biggest thing is my YouTube channel, which is Lonely Raven Studios. But you could also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is at jredmersky. Instagram is Jessica underscore redmersky. But I have a lot of different websites and social networking. And um, you can find the links to all that stuff on my jessicaredmersky.com website. But also please check out my books under Jessica Taku, Sonia J. Brecken, and Justine Carver. We will be linking all of your main channels below. And for everyone, Red Mirsky is spelled R-E-D-M-E-R-S-K-I. So definitely support Jessica over here. Thank you so much for being here once again. And guys, follow us on Instagram at Before We Make It. We have new episodes every Thursday. Thank you so much for your time once again. So with that, peace and out. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.